0: Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. Hey, I'm excited this morning to get to share a summer story. Uh, and I'll be completely honest with you, as I was diving into the book of Acts, we're kind of covering somewhere between chapters five and chapters nine, was kind of the assignment I was given to say, hey, listen, share something in here. And there are so many really incredible, amazing things to talk about just in those four chapters to settle on one thing and to kind of come across with it. it proved to be a little difficult, but I really feel like I've kind of settled in on something. And so if you've got your Bibles this morning, I I hope you break them out. I hope you got your notepads or your iPads or your uh, Android devices. It is a proven fact that more people that the, the more you take notes from a message, the more likely it is for you to make it into heaven. <laughs> it's not true. I totally made that up. But otherwise, when somebody comes to ask you what was what was preached on, unless you have a photographic memory, it's always good to go back. Of course, a lot of people now you just go on Facebook and rewatch the message, and that's that's awesome to do as well. But I've titled this message. Uh, if you are taking notes, a changed man, a changed man. Um, I, I will say this: December twenty fifth, nineteen eighty eight. Long time ago. Seems like forever, but you know there are certain things that will stick out to me. Certain things that I will always remember, and I'll never forget. December the twenty fifth, nineteen eighty eight, Christmas morning. My mom and dad had recently divorced. My, my I was living with my dad. And uh, I didn't need to be at my grandparents' house till around 12 o'clock for Christmas dinner and everything. And so I told my dad because my dad was Tim Strait. He passed away six years ago, but my dad was, uh, you know, his, his was God, deer hunting, and family, okay? Seriously. But no, my dad was a diehard deer hunter. And so uh because I had his blood coursing through my veins, it just made sense. I didn't have anything to do. It's hunting season. I'm going hunting. And so I told my dad, I'm going hunting in the morning before I go to my mom's uh Christmas dinner. And uh, so I was actually going right up here off of Hoshituro. Two Road. Come on, how many of y'all know about Hoshituro. Road? Hushito Road. Uh, my dad had some friends that owned some property there, and so I said I'm going to go make a hunt in the morning before I leave. So I got up early that morning, got in the stand way before daylight, sat there, didn't see anything—typical squirrel, birds, that kind of stuff. And so about eight forty-five, I got down, got to my truck. Nine o'clock, I'm headed back to the house. Well, I leave the property that I was hunting, and I'm about three or four miles up Housha Two Road. It's Christmas morning. And I kind of noticed kind of off in the distance, there's this house that's sitting off the road, the driveway's coming up, and I'll never forget, I'm telling you, just it's, it's embedded in me, a 1988 champagne color Nissan Sentra. Now, it's easy, to re- it's easy to remember, too, because there was this massive red bow on the top of it. I, listen, I'm not the smartest dude in the world. Christmas morning, big bow on a car, Christmas present, right? Okay, so I'm going and I see and I see the car and it's kind of coming toward. The, somebody's in the car and it's coming toward, and as I'm getting closer, there looks to be there there is what looks to be a 16 to 18 year old girl in the car and as she's coming down, her eyes are this big. It's Christmas morning. She's got her first car and she's coming down the driveway and as she sees me coming, she... <laughs> and I just kind of like. And I just kept on going. And it was like, I started thinking on the rest of it. Of course, I laughed for a little while on the way home. But I started thinking, this is the greatest day in her life. 16 years old, she no longer has to worry about somebody giving her a ride somewhere. There's a new freedom that she has found. It's, it's, it's like all of a sudden. And it, it, it brought me back to remembering when I first got my first vehicle, how I put about 500 miles in the first 12 hours of owning my vehicle Come on. And I was, because I wanted to show everybody my brand new truck. Matter of fact, I was, I was uh, uh, working with the youth over at, uh, healing, at a household of faith in Gonzales, and I had about five teenage boys crammed in the front of my vehicle. Man, their faces were plastered on the front of the windshield. I was trying to, it was a stick shield, so I'm like, move your leg. You know what I mean? Just but I was excited to have all, all this newfound freedom and everything that went along with it. Of course, you know, later on, whenever you have to start buying new tires for it and you have to pay the insurance on it, and now you're paying for the gas in it and you gotta have a job to do all those things, but I still remember that freedom. I thought about that girl and thought, right now, she feels like this is the greatest thing in the world, and, and, and uh, I can promise you there's probably never been a day that girl goes, you know what, I wish I could just go back to walking everywhere, I'm ready to give up my car, I'm just gonna start riding my bicycle everywhere. How many of you know once you've got a car, the bicycle doesn't make sense to you anymore, you wanna drive everywhere? Unless you're one of those health people and we we'll pray for you, it's so good. <laughs> I started thinking about that very same story and I started thinking about how it really correlates to my encountering Christ for the very first time, my salvation experience. And I don't know about you, I don't know if you remember your salvation experience, I remember mine very clearly. I was born and raised in church. I, my mom and dad brought me to my mom brought me to make sure that I was in church every single Sunday, every Wednesday night for every meeting with children's youth. I mean, women's business meeting. I Have no idea why I was at the WMU, but I was there with my mom and and uh, but I, I, I and I knew of God, I knew about God, but I really didn't know God until May the twenty eighth, nineteen eighty six, when I was sitting in a service, Crossfire Student Ministries, and. Pastor Glenn Berto was preaching. It was the first time I'd ever been at this service. About 1,200 youth there. Actually, about that time, it was about 500 youth there. And, and I'll never forget whenever the Pastor Glenn was preaching how I felt like he was, there was nobody else in the room. I don't know if you remember that day, but I remember how it felt like nobody else was in the room. It was strictly just me and the Lord, and it was like God was just really convicting me and dealing with me and and making me realize you know what I had a religion but I didn't have a relationship I knew about God but I didn't really know God And around 8.35 that night when they gave the altar call, I'll never forget sitting there and I was weeping and and, and I came down to an altar much like this one and I knelt down and a, a guy that invited me came over to me and he prayed for me and led me in the sinner's prayer and I confessed my sins and confessed that I needed Jesus in my life. And can I tell you, I've never been the same since. My life has radically been changed. And I've been living now for over 30 years. I've been living for the Lord. I, I can't, that doesn't mean that I've been perfect. It doesn't mean that I haven't made mistakes. You can ask my wife. I've made a bunch of them. But my life has been committed and dedicated to doing everything that he's called me to do. And you're going to see right here, I want to look at this passage of Scripture. I want to look at Acts chapter 9. I'm going to try to skip around, but I want to look at particularly at verses 1 through 20. I'm not going to, I may not read all of them, but I want to kind of pick some of them out. And just to kind of bring you up to speed we we encounter this gentleman by the name of Saul who has been hurling threats is what the scripture says hurling threats at the Christians at the believers of those who were of the way the followers of Jesus. Now I have recently been watching a series called Kingdom and Empires A.D. Kingdom and Empires and it chronicles the life of the of the church from the day of the day of Pentecost all the way through and when it got to this particular This particular uh, um, segment of the series, I, I was really taken by it because it showed Saul in front of Caiaphas as he is beginning to try to get the permission to go after the people that were of the way or those followers of Jesus the Nazarene. And I, there's one particular segment that I'm remembering is he's sitting across the, the desk of, of Caiaphas, and Caiaphas is asking him, why do you hate the followers of the Nazarene so much? And he's sitting back, and he begins to talk about it. He says, you want to know why? Because they defile the very temple that I've committed my life to and the ways that I've been taught. And, he, and as he's saying this, he begins to get up on his feet, and before you know it, he's standing face to face with Caiaphas, and he's slamming his hand down into the desk. And all of a sudden it was like you realize the intensity and the, the enthusiasm and the, the passion that he had that he wanted to go after the Christians, to go after those followers of Jesus. And of course then he gets the permission, he gets the letter from Caiaphas and he takes off. And we pick it up right here in chapter, chapter nine, verse one. It says this, it says, Meanwhile Saul was uttering his threats, with every breath, when you, when you begin to study that passage of Scripture, when it says he was uttering threats with every breath, it was literally, a, he couldn't stop talking about doing away with the Christians. Have you ever been around somebody that they have one thing on their mind and it's all they talk about? And you try to divert the conversation another direction, but they always bring it right back to that same thing. You ever been around somebody like that? That's the people when you're going down the aisle, Those are the people that you text message, you don't voice call. If you're getting a lot of text messages and no voice calls, just saying. That's how he was. And it says this so he went to the high priest, he requested the letters addressed to the synagogue in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Here's here's what I wanna focus on. And I'm gonna give you three things this morning, three things that happened in Saul's life that I pray has happened in your life as well. It says this, it says, chapter, verse three, it says, As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but Saul, no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground but when he opened his eyes, he was blind, so his companions led him by his hand to Damascus. He remained there blind. Uh, let's, I'll tell you what, let's drop down real quickly. Let's drop down to verse 15. Now, God has spoken to Ananias and telling him that you're going to go to Straight Street. Come on, have you know that's a God street right there. And there's going to be this man named Saul. And of course, he says, I've heard about this man Saul, Lord. Please don't tell me to go over there. He's hurling threats against Christians. And look what he says in verse 15. It says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument. I love how the scripture says this in the New Living Translation. He is my instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Isn't it amazing? God didn't say, I'm going to show him how glorious it's going to be. I'm going to show him how easy it's going to be. Because let's be honest, this is what a lot of times we think the Christian life is about. It's the easy way. It's, we, we, like the, 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 we like the glory of God and the favor of God. But boy, can we just kind of bypass the suffering part? It says, so so Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me that, that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward he ate some food, regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. Verse 20, the last one. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is indeed the Son of God tremendous story. Maybe it's like your story. Maybe there was no blinding light. Maybe there wasn't this falling down on the ground. Maybe there wasn't this audible voice coming from heaven, but nonetheless, your story hopefully will be the same story. There was a day, there was a time Whenever you did not know Christ, you walked in a way that you thought was right or you walked a certain way but you really didn't know him and maybe you were blind to this and it brings me to the first thing, it's this, that every believer needs to have is this and it's the same thing that Saul had on that day is that we all need a conversion experience. We all need to have that conversion experience. Why is it so important? Because of this, there has to be a true revelation of who God is in a person's life or they will continue to think that their good works is just enough. I, I, I was raised in church, I was in church i, I sang i 'll never forget the first time I ever sang. many of you if you 've been here for uh, for years before I, I went to St Francis field before they shift me off to the woods. come on somebody, which I am definitely not bitter about, just so you know that i 'm loving it but i I led worship I, I was one of the worship team members here and had a couple of songs that I sang, you know specials that they asked me to sing, and so that 's where I got and i 'll never forget the first Time I ever sang in church, I was seven years old. It was a children 's play, and we were doing this this uh this thing called uh, uh, the Lamb of god and and I was actually a little lamb i was it was really weird looking back on it now that my mom dressed me up in this white sweatsuit with cotton balls all over it, just <laughs> thankful there 's no pictures anywhere to be found of this um, uh, and and i look as as a singer and as a minister you you find yourself sometimes in very awkward Places that people put you in, like one time when I was at Household of Faith, and I only—I know the person who has this video. I, I'm hoping that it's no longer any good, but I was salty the songbook. I like literally, like I was this Styrofoam songbook in this blue suit, and I've had people trying to figure it out and everything, and I've been praying hard against it every day, because if this gets out, it would be bad. I'd probably go to a but anyway. I'll never forget the first song that I sang was um, Will You Go? And I, I, I man, I was, I was in church. And, and Will You Go? Will You Go? Will You Go to the Savior's birth? Come on, I still remember the words. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. Somebody's like, why did you just do that? Because I want you to know that I, I, I knew church. I, I was born and raised in church. My mom had me there all the time, but I had never had a true encounter with God. There's a lot of us in this room, I don't know where you were raised, how you were raised, what environment you were raised in. Maybe you were raised in a, in a home with a loving mother, mother and a father who knew God and, and they taught you right and they, and they taught you the right way to live and they knew who Jesus was. Or maybe you were here today and your parents was oblivious to who God was. Our religion's not for us. And Maybe you just lived whatever life you wanted to, but you're here today because at some point in time in your life, you encountered the one true God, and again, maybe it wasn't like Saul, where there was this blinding light and everything, but maybe it was just that still small voice. Maybe it was that neighbor that kept inviting you to church, or that coworker, or maybe you started coming because your child started coming to a, a youth event or a children's event. Nonetheless, whatever venue it was that God used, He got a hold of you. Do you remember that day? Like like really, do you remember when you first believed? Do you remember the change that took place and i 'm not talking about the goosebumps and the, the weeping and the crying, but literally feeling like there was this, this massive amount of water that just cleansed everything out of your life? The scripture says this in, in John chapter eight verse 36, it says this, "So if the sun sets you free, you are truly." Free, truly free. I'll never forget me being at that altar that day and, and knowing that everything that I had ever done wrong, not that it was any, any major things, and, but it was like all of this weight got lifted off of me. I imagine that's what Saul felt that day on the road to Damascus is that all of a sudden he got he encountered the one true God. He, he thought he had a God in his life, but all he had was religion. He really didn't have a relationship. Listen, we can go to church our entire life and never really know God. We can can read our Bible every day and never really know God. We can go to Sunday school and VBS and youth church and everything else. We We can be sitting next to our spouse and never really have had an encounter with him. Why is that so important, Pastor Timmy? Because in difficult moments, in trying times in our life, when, you, when God calls you to do the difficult things, and he will call you to do the difficult things, if all you have is a religion and not a relationship, chances are you will tuck tail and run. Or you'll go back to what you used to know. What you used to know. See, when you have an encounter with him, I, I was doing research years ago about revivalists of old. The, the the Azusa Street outpouring and all these different revivals that took place, and I was particularly looking at the individuals that kind of that God used to spearhead these these encounters, these re- revival meetings. All three of these individuals had a couple of things in common. All of them, they all had a couple of things in common. Number one, they had had an actual true encounter with God. Like it wasn't this, oh thank you Jesus. It was like. They had an encounter like a road to Damascus experience where God showed them, you've been doing it wrong. You've been doing your thing. Now I need you to work for me. Now I need you to come under my submission. Now I need you to be, uh, come under my authority. Now I need you to follow me. Now I need you to be obedient to what I'm calling you to do. You've gone and chased fame. You've gone and chased fortune. You've gone and chased notoriety and you know trying to be the social, have the social status. But now what I need you to do, I need you to put all of that energy and all that effort into my relationship with you. See, the thing we need to understand, and I'll repeat this throughout the course of this morning, it's this. God didn't want to rob Paul of his passion. He simply wanted to redirect it. Because you're going to notice that the same passion that Paul had as he was standing over Caiaphas' desk talking about doing away with the Christians was the same passion that he would take into the streets and preach in the synagogue and the temples, it was the same passion that would cause him to stand before the religious leaders of that day, knowing full well that, they could, that he could be imprisoned or worse than that, even crucified or killed. But he didn't care. See, it's amazing to me. You ever, you ever been around somebody and, and that are, that's not born again, they've never had an encounter with Christ, and they're just like out there, like, like they're the life of the party, Like, they're the ones that are out there going, whoa! they're jumping up and down at the football game. They're hollering. They're the ones that's gonna paint their face up. They've got this passion. And you think in your mind, boy, if if God would ever get a hold of them, they would do so much for the kingdom. And then all of a sudden they get saved and it's like. It's like God just sucked the life right out of them and didn't put a life back in them. God does not want to steal your passion. He doesn't want to rob you of your passion. He simply wants you to redirect it. He simply wants to angle it towards him to where he can use. Listen, the reason God saved you and placed you where you are is to take that passion and that excitement and that energy and now channel it and focus it on leading others to the same relationship with Jesus Christ. You're going to see that that's what Paul's going to end up doing here. I started thinking about this whole thing about how he he had this encounter. See, Jesus asked Peter one time, he says, Who do men say that I am? What well, you're, you know, you're you're the you're Isaiah the prophet, you're you're Elijah, you're you're John the Baptist reincarnate, you're this, you're that. And then he says, But who do you say that I am? Key thing here there. Peter looks at him, he says, You're you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God. And what does Jesus tell him? He says, this has not been revealed to you by man, but by the Holy Spirit. See, when you have a true encounter with Christ, it doesn't matter who's up here preaching. It doesn't matter how amazing the worship is. When, when the Holy Spirit comes to us and begins to reveal to us the truth of who Jesus Christ is, then everything that we were taught, everything that we know, now all of a sudden it doesn't matter. It's all about him. See, some of you are here this morning and you're gonna realize there are some things that you were taught growing up, and some of you have already come to grips with it, was not right. Just because you did it in your family growing up doesn't mean that it's God. Doesn't mean it. And just because your family is still doing it, if the Holy Spirit has told you that you're not to partake of it anymore, guess what? I respect you and I love you, but I can no longer participate in it because something has taken place in my life. I've found my relationship with Jesus and I can no longer please you. I have to please him. See, the first thing that happens to happen in each and every one of our lives is there needs to be a true conversion. Where we go from light, from dark to light. Where we go from death to life. Where we go from doing what we want to do to following him and everything that he has in store for us. See, people that have had a true conversion, their lives are never the same. You know, I read the passage, I read through the book of Acts, I've read different things. You know one thing I've never heard Paul say in any writings is this, man, I sure do miss the way it used to be. Man, I wish I could just go hang out with them people one more time. You know, I, will, I, will, I wish I would still be invited to those parties like I used to. You, you know, the only thing that I hear Paul regretting in scriptures is, I wish I would have found him sooner. I, I regret persecuting all of the Christians beforehand. Several times in scripture, Paul refers to himself as the chiefest of all sinners. Why? Because he regretted what he did in the name of religion now that he had relationship, See, there are things that growing up that maybe even our parents or some of our close friends taught us or, or, or you know, uh, whatever traditions, whatever they may be, and, and And when we come into an encounter with the true Christ, when we are truly converted to being a follower of Christ, then guess what? It doesn't matter what anybody else says. It matters what does Jesus say. What does his word say? And even though it might be okay for everybody else, it's not okay for us as followers of Christ. I hear people say all the time, oh, grace, grace, grace. Do you realize grace was given to us not to abuse but in those moments that we are pursuing him and we mess up, we come back and God says, I've got grace for that. It's not an intentional thing that we did. It's not like every day I wake up trying to be an abuser of his grace. It's, it's those moments when I am pursuing him and I might skip a beat. and God says, that's where my grace comes in. Grace was not given to us so that we can live any lifestyle we want to live. Grace was given to us so that when we are obedient to live in the lifestyle he has chosen for us, but yet we miss the mark from time to time. He says, I've got grace for that because I know you're pursuing me, because I know you're going after me, because I know your heart is for me and your actions are following. Yeah. See, the second thing that we have to have in, after conversion, it's this, and it talks about how Paul would go to the, to the disciples, it says it right here, the second part, it says uh, in verse 15, but the Lord said, go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take the message of the Gentiles and of the kings as well as the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. The other thing that we understand is this, is that after conversion, there needs to be some correction. It's what I was just talking about. There's a lot of things that maybe were instilled with us. Listen, have you ever been around a teenager, a child, that maybe grew up in a home that lacked discipline, that maybe, maybe they weren't taught the right things to do, how to treat people or whatever else it is, and you get around, you get around those individuals and it, there's a sarcasm about themselves. There's, a, you know, there's this attitude. There's all these different things. And, and you think in the back of your mind like I do, man, I wasn't, I wasn't taught that way. My mom and daddy would have never, my daddy would have killed me if I said something like that. My dad was six foot Four, weighed about 235 pounds. Used to wear this belt that said Tim on it, on the back. Come on, how many daddies still got that belt on? And if I got in trouble, my behind said Mitt. Wa-pow! I mean, every... And, and But my dad made sure that I was respectful, that I, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. I honored people. in there. Have you ever been around, you know, maybe someone who didn't have that upbringing and maybe they were just kind of let loose to do whatever and it frustrates you and you think in the back of your mind, man, somebody needs to get a hold of that person. You ever been in a, in a grocery store line and you got that, guy ah, doing all that kind of stuff and you want to just pull mom and dad off the side and say, listen, I know you might not have a belt, but I got an extra in the car. I'll give it to you. We know that's none of your kids in here, that's the other churches. Okay, (laughs) just saying, just rest at ease, rest at ease. But what do we do? We want to to understand there needs to be some correction. Here's what correction is. Correction is when you're going in a direction you shouldn't be going in, and now all of a sudden somebody changes you to go. You know what, correction is the same thing as repent. Repent means that I'm going in this direction, now I turn and I go in the other direction. When I repent, when I repent, it's what John the Baptist preached. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is his hand. You know what he's saying to the people? He says, you're going the wrong direction, and it's time for you to switch directions. You know what God told Saul on the road to Damascus? You're going in the wrong direction, and he wasn't talking about Damascus. He says, you're persecuting the wrong people. You've got the religion wrong. You've got all everything that you've been taught. It's been wrong. And now I want to teach you what is right. So there needs to be some correction. And so the Holy Spirit, after his conversion, the Holy Spirit, over a course of a couple of days, and also probably sitting with the disciples, and because of his encounter with, with Jesus on the road to Damascus, he understood completely, I've been doing it all wrong. Man, I, I had it wrong, and, and, and I, want to make, I want to get it right. I want to make things right now. And so there was this correction that took place. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it says this, there's a path before each person that seems right, but ends in death. Many of you are here right now in this room, and if you were headed down the same path that you were on before you found Christ, you probably know that you wouldn't even be on this planet right now. Maybe it was a life of drugs, maybe it was a life of just bad living. Maybe. maybe it wasn't even any of those things. Maybe it was just you living for you. Maybe your lifestyle didn't hurt you, but it hurt others. See, the thing with Saul was his lifestyle didn't hurt him. Because think about this. He was with the wealthy. He was with those that had power, if you were to look at him from a social status of this day, he was the end guy. He was his Facebook, he had, he had millions of Facebook friends, he had followers on Instagram, everybody liked his pictures. He had it all together. He wasn't hurting himself, but he was hurting the followers of Christ, innocent people. See, why is it so important that we make sure that we also have the correction process after our conversion? It's because when God corrects us, it is not only benefits us, but more importantly, it benefits everybody around us. See, see when, we, when we are corrected and we're starting to live for him and our focus is on him, then all of a sudden we're no longer concerned with ourselves. We're concerned with others. What did Jesus say to his disciples? He said the Son of Man didn't come to, to be served, but rather to serve others. And if we are Christians, if we are followers of Christ, then our goal and our focus should be also to serve others. Which means then when we don't get our way, we've got to be okay with it. Because if it benefits somebody else, more importantly, if it benefits the kingdom, that's what matters the most. I challenge those of you that maybe you've had your conversion experience and now maybe God has you in the correction process. That one of the things you need to look at is this is, Am I truly obedient to everything that He tells me? Are some of the things that I'm involved in and engaged in right now in my life, can I back it up with Scripture? Because it doesn't matter even if another Christian says it's okay. If God's word says it's not, then it's not. God's word supersedes anybody else. It doesn't matter what society thinks. It doesn't matter what maybe even a church may teach. Can we just be honest? It's a matter of what does God's word say. So we need to make sure that we have this correction. Then it falls into the third thing that takes place, and it's this. So after our conversion, we have a period of correction. And that. Like, can I say this? I stay in the correction process for the remainder of my life. God is always going to be correcting me. God's always going to be showing me new things in my life. You know what I love about this, this, this word right here is The Bible says it's alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. I can read one passage of Scripture 50 times, and all 50 times God's going to show me something completely different every time. I have been reading the story of the prodigal son my entire life since my salvation. Can I tell you, God is always showing me something brand new. And I say that to say, guess what? We are always going to be in a correction process. God's always wanting to show us something new. He's always wanting to show us something that's right, maybe something that we missed, maybe something that we didn't get from a podcast or another pastor's message. It's just us getting along with him, digging deep into his word and saying, God, I want you to show me something. That's why you sent the Holy Spirit was to reveal to me the things of God. So God, show me something. God, God, show me what I need to know about this. And then all of a sudden, here comes the third thing that every Christian, every Christian, every Christian needs to have. And it's this, it's a commission. So we have our conversion, we have our correction, then we have our commission. And the commission for each and every one of us in this room is the same commission that he gave his disciples before he ascended to the Father. And it's found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, it says this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples, look at this, to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Look what happens to to Paul after he's there for a couple of days, and it says he regained his strength. Verse 20, it says, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is indeed the Son of God. Do you know what God has called each and every one of us to do, the commission that he has given each and every one of us as believers It's to go and make disciples of all nations. It's to go and preach the good news of the gospel. It's to go to the lost and the dying world and telling them Jesus is real. It has not changed. And if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, guess what? You're called to do it as well. You say, well, Pastor Timmy, I don't know enough of the scripture and, 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 and I, I, I haven't been to Bible college and you know I know H.P. College has night school. Maybe if I sign up for that and after about two years and I can learn a little bit more. No, 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 listen. People will always debate your theology but they will never be able to deny your fruit. Let me explain that. Just when you think you've got, you've got your theology down you're ready to get into a debate with somebody, they're going to bring something up that maybe you didn't know about. But when we've been truly converted and then corrected, and we're walking our commission out. See, when we're corrected, it means that we're living a life of obedience, following Jesus. Which means then whenever I have that moment of intense fellowship at home, with my spouse. If I'm acting like Jesus, I'll get it right. If I'm acting selfishly, I'll get it wrong. If I'm in traffic and somebody cuts me off and I act like Jesus, I get it right. But I act like me, I get it wrong. When when I'm around my coworkers and they're saying a bunch of different things and when I'm acting like Jesus, I get it right. When I act like myself, I get it wrong. See, here's the thing. Your theology can be debated, but when we truly are converted and corrected and we begin to walk out our commission, then all of a sudden God provides with us, because of that, the fruit that everybody can see. And they will see the fruit that we have and know that we are truly a follower of Christ. A couple of things that stand out about Paul. There were a lot of both believers and unbelievers that didn't want him to be a convert. When, whenever he came over, there was a lot of skepticism with the disciples. Are you sure? You sure he's not trying to infiltrate? I mean, this is the guy that just a few days ago was trying to have us killed. He's got, he had letters on him with permission from the high priest to take us and put us in prison. Are we sure that he is converted? Are we sure that it's not just infiltrating us, trying to play a trick on us? Even the religious leaders of that day said, what kind of scheme are you playing here? What, what's going on here? What are you trying to do? But who the Son is set free is free indeed. Whether they want to bring up your past or not, you know that you know that you were born again. I don't know where you are today in your walk with the Lord. I, I imagine that in a church this size, there are a lot of you that are here that you've had a true conversion experience. You're living for God every single day of your life. You wake up in the morning, maybe you get your devotion out, and you pray, God, help me today be who you've called me to be. God, today I want want to make sure that I'm obedient to everything that you tell me. God, give me the boldness to do what you've called me to do. And you go about your day looking for an opportunity to share Jesus with somebody. You're not concerned about what people may say about you. You're not concerned about this or that. You're just focused on doing what God has called you to do in the area that he's called you to do it in. But maybe you're here today. Maybe you haven't had that conversion experience. Maybe you grew up in church and you know the right things to say. Man, you can probably even quote scripture. But you know that deep down inside, right here, You've never really made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. And it's evident because when you wake up in the morning, you're more concerned about what will benefit you more than Him. You're more concerned about how you look in front of other people or what people say about you or, you know, religion's a private thing. I'm, I, I don't need to bring that public. Listen. If your philosophy is that my religion is a private thing, then you, never, then you haven't encountered the same God that Paul encountered on the road to Damascus. Because as soon as Paul left, he went to the very people that he knew had the power to have him killed or put in prison. And he didn't care. Thank you for listening.